Digital AF, the digital marketing podcast that features real conversations from those who live and breathe the digital agency life. April Ford Digital Agency shares their tips, tricks, and exposes the truth about what works and what doesn't. Welcome to Digital AF. Let's get into it. Welcome to Digital AF. This week, I'm chatting to Brendan. Welcome, Brendan. Hey, Forbesy. Today, we will be chatting about marketing fundamentals for the medical and allied health industry. It's something that every practice manager and business owner should know about. Over the past two years, our health professionals have dealt with the worst of COVID. Longer hours, harder work, constant chaos, and even abuse from patients. All for no extra pay and without complaint. You've kept us safe throughout the pandemic. So from everyone at April Ford, we'd like to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Each week, we get calls from practice managers and business owners needing advice on marketing their practice. To make life easier, we've compiled the fundamentals that you can apply to your business. So let's dive in. So first of all, Brennan, who should listen to this podcast? Everyone in medical and allied health, Mm -hmm. uh, but more specifically practice managers, owners of practices or partners in practices or clinics. Marketing managers, if yep. they have one, yep. um, even BDMs, if they have one as well. Yep. And when you talk, when you say medical and allied health, first of all, let's talk medical. What do you, what do you actually mean? Medical is normally classified as things like GPs, specialists, surgeons, dentists, orthodontics. Yep. Whereas like allied health is more like physio, podiatry, osteo, chiro, dietetics, things like that. Cool. What about the world of injectables and cosmetic surgery and stuff like that? Yeah, there's a lot of people. Obviously, that's a huge industry right now, like growing and growing. There's a lot of people who would take a lot away from what we're going to talk about, particularly in relation to some of the points we'll cover later on. But ultimately, that they probably fall more into the beauty side of things. But at the same time, if you're doing injectables and it's kind of, you know- You some, have some dermatologists that do injectables. Yeah, there's a crossover there. So they almost fall into like the specialist side of things as well. And so um, what are the marketing fundamentals they should be considering? Yeah, there's three fundamentals. Positioning. Yep presentation and price. Okay. And so they're all connected. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, the reason why I've got those three fundamentals the saying things I talk about with clients all the time or prospective clients is a lot of people are shifting towards a private fee for service model, whether they're in a GP clinic or, you know, I mean, obviously injectables straight up because no one's claiming on Medicare unless they scam the system. Yeah. But typically a lot of practices are having bigger gap payments or they're going straight up private fee for service because obviously, you know, there hasn't been an increase in the Medicare rebate for GPs for yonks. Mm-hmm. So price is becoming an important part of that. And obviously that's linked to presentation and positioning. And so that's why we always talk about those three things, just so it's really digestible. What about things like NDIS, DBA? How do those three things relate back to those type of businesses? So you got to think about, who you know, often you've got a customer or a referrer and then you've got an end user. Mm-hmm. So an example of that might be, let's take a specialist who does orthopedic surgery. Now, their end user, the person going under the knife, is the patient. However, the referrer would be the GP who's referring that patient to the specialist. Yep. So when you're positioning and presenting the business, a lot of those things are done depending on who you're actually trying to communicate to, Mm -hmm. to generate the lead. So that's in the case of like a referral, obviously. So it's like an almost an indirect patient acquisition versus like a injectables clinic. They just need to look amazing and show social proof of amazing work because they're actually marketing direct to the patient. You know, dentistry and orthodontics are kind of similar where a lot of the time, you know, you don't need to get a referral to go to the dentist. So you'll essentially, it depends on the model that you're actually running, whether it's referral or or direct to patient. And so often- 
when a client calls us, they usually have a problem. Yep. What sort of problems are we talking about? They sort of fall into one or four categories. So it's either patient acquisition, yep. patient retention, communication, or recruitment. Okay. So let's talk about patient acquisition first. Obviously, it's fairly obvious what that is, but yep. can we talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So you kind of got patient acquisition depends a little bit on the growth phase of the business. Like let's say it's a startup, obviously they need patients or clients depending on the type of business they are. But if you're a startup, then you're trying to fill your books. So obviously patient acquisition is paramount. If you're a large business and you're trying to grow because you're bringing on new you know, GPs, for example, and GP clinic, then obviously patient acquisition is still important. So it just depends on where they are in their growth cycle as yeah. a business. I also think patient acquisition is just important in general because even as an established business, you know, client people move, all that type of stuff. So you've still always got to be focusing on, it's nearly, you've got to do like patient acquisition and patient just like long-term marketing to keep them engaged with the brand as well. Yeah. And that kind of falls into some of the other categories, but I mean, you know, take an example of a, a occupational therapy business that does a lot of DVA. If they've got predominantly older patients who are literally, you know, at end of life. Yeah. Like palliative. Yeah. Like specializing palliative care or something like that. Then ultimately you literally have a dying market. So you need to be constantly acquiring new clients or patients. Yeah. Let's talk about patient retention a little bit more. How does your three P's like positioning, presentation, price apply to that? So patient retention, it depends on the type of business that it is um, or the type of service they're offering. But let's say it's a GP clinic. Mm -hmm. Going to the doctor is not front of mind for a lot of people. And so if you don't develop a really strong relationship or a strong loyalty from a customer, client or patient, then you, the next time someone goes, oh, I need to go to the doctor because they only go once a year or once every five years if you know they're a middle-aged bloke who just doesn't think that much about the health, then they might not necessarily think to go straight back to you if you haven't been front of mind for them. Yep. So actually retaining that patient is actually really, really, really important. So you constantly have to be talking to them. Yeah. So patient retention is a big part. And I guess that kind of, those things about, you know, positioning and presentation and price are relevant to that because if you're overpriced, they're not going to want to come back. If you look like shit, no one's going to want to come visit you. You know, there's nothing worse going into a waiting room of a, of a medical specialist and it looking like something out of the 1930s and smelling like cigars. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and those places do exist still, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you've got a lot of specialists have been doing it for 30 or 40 years and, you know, they don't really want to change. Like, you know, well, like 50, 50 years in some cases. <laughs> um, so, you know, presentation of the brand and the clinic is really, really important. And then obviously positioning as well. I mean, there's, there's sometimes patients – don't think you do something when you actually do purely because you're positioned a certain way. So like all those three P's can really impact patient retention as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important that even though someone has been seeing you for a while, like say you are a GP and you've been seeing someone for a few years, they don't necessarily know all the things that you do. So even things like flu vaccination clinics, all that type of stuff, they might not even know that you run that as a service. Oh, it happens constantly. Like I'll talk to a a prospective client that would be really, really frustrated because, you know, their patients go elsewhere for other things yep. because they didn't know that you offered it. And it's like, well, did you tell them that you offer it? And it's like, oh no. And it's like, well, how are they meant to know then? So, <laughs> And I mean, that falls into the communication piece as well. So making sure you are communicating with them over and above the relationship or, or just like them showing, you know, patients showing up and you having that appointment as well. Yeah. I mean, communication is a really interesting one. Prior to COVID, communication was there, like, you know, practice managers and business owners and so forth were, were not sure how to communicate with their patients or their clients. And they were missing out on services a lot of the time. 
or a patient or client was coming to them for the wrong thing because they weren't educated. So there's an education piece, but there's also an awareness of services piece. And then as COVID came in, it became like crisis management. Like don't come, don't walk into the clinic if you've got COVID. Yeah, rules rather than like services, service-based. Yeah, procedural. Yeah, they got really good at communicating the rules. Yeah, all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> you know, we need to be very clear about yeah. <laughs> how you are, how you will be treated as a patient here. Do not get out of your car. Yeah. Do not come within 100 metres of the clinic. <laughs> so, you know, I guess with COVID coming in, communication became the, like the most important thing for any medical or allied health-related business on how to do business with them yeah. or how to be treated with them because obviously the protocols were just like next level and they still are. And it was important. It was great for a lot of clinics and practices to get really active or get really proactive about communication because if they didn't, they were just going to have this horde of people coughing and spluttering at the front door yep. while the poor nurses and GPs are like pee up to the eyeballs <laughs> trying to deal with it all. So there's that crisis management piece. But typically speaking- Outside of pandemics, communication is used to constantly let your patients and clients know what you actually offer. We refer to the GP practice, but you know, let's say it was a specialist and, and they do, they're a dermatologist, but they also offer other cosmetic related services. You know, like if I was to get injectables, not that I do, but you know, I look I forward do. to it later. Okay. No, <laughs> what? But you know, later in life, if I want to get these crow feet fixed up, yeah. I'd rather a dermatologist do it mm-hmm. than someone who's like just operating out of a little serviced office somewhere. Yeah. Who's not. Not your dermatologist. Who's not my dermatologist. Yeah, yeah, fully. So communicating what you do is a big, big part. And then also communicating on on how to do business or how to be treated or how to engage with that business is also really, really important. And I think gone are the days where people are combing through websites as well to find out what someone does. So, you know, I know personally, I use social media to actually search now. So it's a big part of my searching process when I'm looking for a new service. I'll search for things on social media. It's nearly like, I reckon it's probably replace like half of my Google searches, to be honest. I think it depends on the urgency or the gravity of what you're doing yep. or what you require. Yep. So as a, as a consumer, let's say you've had a sporting injury on the weekend, you're a 22-year-old guy, you got crash tackled at football and you've blown your ACL. At that point in time, you're like, who is the first surgeon that I can get in to see to sort this knee out? So like research, out the window. Yeah. However, if it's like, well, I'm going to get breast augmentation, that's not a, you don't wake up one morning and go, oh, I want, you know, to look different. You spend time researching and you do dive deep into websites and you look for referrals, and, you know, so the research becomes a lot higher, yep. uh, a lot more involved. So I think it depends on the gravity of the what you're dealing with. The problem people yeah. are trying to find very, solutions for. Very much so. And also like how people see, do they need or do they not need to, like where someone's doing something out of say- self-interest. And I don't mean that in like a selfish way or whatever. So I just mean that as in, I'm going to get some Botox or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying like, that's a self-interested thing. It's more like, that's an enjoyable thing. You're doing that because you want to feel better, look younger, whatever. Whereas I've got a rash Mm -hmm. that I need dealt with Mm -hmm. whilst it's not that big a deal, depending on the size of the rash, but (laughs) let's suggest it's not that big a deal. You just want to get in and see someone and get the ointment and get it fixed. So you don't tend to research as much. So I think the level of research changes depending on the situation that the consumer is in. And so what about recruitment? Because that is a big uh, topic that a lot of, not only this industry, but every industry is facing at the moment. Yeah, apparently every employee on the planet disappeared last 24 months. (laughs) Recruitment's huge. So you've got recruitment for particularly around, like a lot of the conversations I have are with GP practices or specialists where they're trying to recruit doctors or specialists in their field, whatever it may might be, you know, gynecologists and obstetricians or it might be GPs or whatever. Yeah. Even physios and chiros, 
allied health, you know, um, even occupational, occupational therapists. therapists yeah, yeah. Yeah. So everyone's trying to recruit. Now, the reality is today, especially in a tight labour market like we've got, you need to look amazing and you need to look like a place that people want to come to work. People don't want to go to work in a seedy old office that smells bad with a bad culture and, you know, an old daggy brand and all those sorts of things. So when often one of the problems- Because people, people, what, judge a book by its cover? 100% they do. Yeah. You know, if you're, you know, say a, a, a mid to late 30s GP who- has got some runs under their belt and is looking to, to grow a book of patients in a certain area. They're going to want to go to a place that they feel comfortable practicing in so that they can practice medicine how they want to practice, not be in a sausage factory yeah. where it's, you know, just 100 patients a day for five minutes and they're always running two hours late. So re- recruitment is usually one of the biggest problems that people face. And so we sit down and work out recruitment processes to make the business more attractive, to pull in talent. Yeah, It's not necessarily saying we're running job ads, although we do do that from time to time to, to try and find new people, but it's typically around making a business look more attractive to then pull talent into. Yeah. And it's like a supporting part of recruitment. Yeah. And, and it also applies to, you know, um, trying to find administrative staff and- Practice managers, practice all managers. that type like of stuff. It, it's not just the the physicians or the the specialists or the, the car right? Yeah. It's, it's all the supporting team members and whatnot as well. It, it's it's everyone, yeah. So if that's the problem that yep. people are facing, like those, you know, those four things we talked about, patient acquisition, patient retention, communication and recruitment, what are the solutions to these things? The solutions kind of form the fundamentals to like that are minimum requirements to deal with these things. Yep. So the things we'll go through now are, are essentially what differentiates an average business from a great one. So let's start with website. Yep. There are some great medical and, and allied health based businesses out there with some incredible websites. However, there's a lot. And when I say a lot, I would say probably 85 to 90% are very, very, very average. And that's because when they first started as a practice, they didn't have to look that good to get the work. I also think as well, we have seen technology and software has evolved and changed substantially in the last couple of years. And I think gone are the days where people buy a website and they have it for 10 years, like it nearly needs to be refreshed. I mean, we do our own every year, but you know, we're an agency, but doing it every two years or three years isn't a silly thing to think about because you do need to be reflective of what's going on in the world. Oh, definitely. Um, And also a consumer has changed where they used to literally pick up the yellow pages and go to doctors and then call directly from the yellow, you know, they dial a number out of yellow pages. Whereas websites came a big, you know, became a big deal last few years and a lot of people haven't caught up with that. So the website's usually the first place you start and go, okay, on a website, not only is it your first impressions to the market, so how do you look and sound and act, but what's the information on there? Can people book online? You know, like you can't afford to be in medicine or allied health and not have an online booking function if the patient can book directly. Obviously, if it's referral-based, it's a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, if it makes sense, I know I flat out use HotDoc to book yeah. my appointments where I can because it's so convenient for me. I can see availabilities. I can compare it with my calendar. I love it. But even if it's not hot dog and, and you're in, say, a, you know, a cosmetic-based business where it's injectables, you're not using hot dog, but you might be using Calendarly or Timely or, you know, something else similar to that. Yep. But ultimately, you know, does your website look amazing, work amazing, function amazingly, have online booking? Is it full of information too? Because it's a good place to educate your patients. Yep. It's a great place to house resources as well. Like if you're a surgeon and you've got all these different surgeries that you you offer, you conduct that perform, sorry, that fix all these different conditions, then you should have a lot of information there because everyone's been sitting in a GP when they've gone, okay, you've got a case of X. You really need to go and see 
XYZ at BBA clinic. Yeah. Here's a referral for it. And then they print off or jump on Google <laughs> and the GP prints off like a little worksheet or info sheet and hands it to you. Yep. You know, like realistically they should be saying, look, jump on XYZ's website, all information about your surgery is on there. Yeah. Like so much better. But then also, you know, profiling your team members, going back to like presentation and positioning earlier, a website needs to be profiling, you know, who the doctors are or who the physios are. Yeah, and I think more and more people are doing research on, you know, the person that they are engaging with. You know, I know even on our website, our team or our about page is the most looked at page on our website because I think people are just trying to feel comfortable with making the inquiry as well. So I think that goes for every business where you do have a team and you are promoting that you have a team showcasing that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, the website is the first place we start with people and go, okay, right. You know, because it, it, it is one of the fundamental things. Like you can't run an amazing business today if you don't have a great website. I agree. And 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 doesn't mean it has to be like super, super traditional or, or whatnot. But, you know, today we're creating some really beautiful, hugely user-centric websites that can change the look and feel of business overnight. Yeah. Then the second thing we talk about is social media because yeah. irrespective of what your condition or problem might be as a patient or a client, you're still going to use social to research a lot of the time. Like you were talking about before, you're starting to use social to research stuff, particularly when it's when it's direct to consumer. Absolutely. But, but if it's a if it's quite a big, say it's a surgery, and let, let's say it's a cosmetic surgery where, you know, going back to the example of the plastic surgeon or breast augmentation, you know, like that, they're going to research. Everything. Patient is going to research everything on social and they're going to literally read every review, look at every photo. They're going to look at everything that that practice or that that clinic offers. So socials become really, really important. And the thing to think about social, and when I say social media, I'm talking about like Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Google My Business, even TikTok. A lot of those in the medical fraternity and allied health fraternity might be cringing when I'm saying TikTok. But the reality is there is a whole market under 25 years of age. That is their platform of choice. So you need to go, well, hang on, do I want to take patients under that age or not? If you do want to take patients under that age, then you're going to have to be active on TikTok. Now, it's not that you're going to have to be doing stupid videos that devalue your brand and your positioning. It's just determining how you use that platform to engage to position yourself appropriately. And it can also help with recruitment too. So like if you are recruiting from that age bracket, you know, you may have like support staff or anything like that, or even people who are finishing university. So you might have graduate programs, et cetera. You know, that is a great place to reach those people as well. There's actually some really cool psychologists, a lot of operators in mental health doing some amazing content on TikTok and, and Instagram reels that are breaking down, I guess, the barriers and the stigmatism around mental health in a lot of different situations. I've actually seen a bucket load that have been fantastic. I think they're great. But just on social media, I think the the thing to think about is obviously those platforms are what I was talking about before, but you've got two parts of social media. So you've got social media content, which is what you create and post on your profile or page. Yep. And then you've got social media advertising, Mm -hmm. which is when you create an advertisement, you serve it to people. And that does fall a little bit into the next thing, which we'll talk about, which is digital advertising. But it's, it's important to understand that there's two parts to social media. There's that content that you post on your page. That everyone can see. That everyone can see. And if then they're you, searching you or they follow you or something along those lines. Yep. That's right. But then you've got your advertising as well. Which, which is targeted. Which is targeted, yeah. You know, it's putting your content or your message in front of the right target audience. Keeping those couple of different parts of social media in mind. But then we normally then start talking about, okay, what's the digital advertising strategy? And that's typically where patient acquisition comes into account. Yep. Because with 
advertising, obviously any advertising you do has got to be compliant to any legislative code or government mandate or whatnot. You know, things like can't talk about like reviews or, you know, endorsements from professionals around products because of TGA legislations and so forth. So the first thing is obviously any digital advertising for any medical and even outlined health needs to be compliant to legislation. However, it is used for patient acquisition because ultimately there's nothing stopping you putting your brand under the, under the right target market's nose. And because you can target so in such a detailed manner where it's like age, sex, location, interest, there's even problems that you can target on in different types of advertising platforms. Yeah, um, or topics. Or topics, yeah. You know, like it could be mental health, it could be bowel disease, it could be, yep. you know, skin, whatever it might be. You can put the right message or the right offering or the right solution under your exact target market's nose. So it becomes a very strong patient acquisition method. And you've then got a couple of different types of advertising. You've got immediate response advertising, which is where someone's got an immediate intent. And that's things like Google ads. Like if someone's searching in Google and they're like, you know, obstetrician. Yeah. Because they've just. Or doctor near me. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got an immediate intent. Google search is typically where they go. Yep. And so that's the immediate based response. And then you've got proactive marketing where a brand is putting their name, their you know message or their service or their solution under someone else's nose. And that's things like Facebook and Instagram, where you can proactively serve someone an ad. You don't have to wait for them to come to you. you that can, might be interested. Yeah, correct. You know, it's not like, oh, it's a guarantee that this person's yeah. going to click on an ad, but ultimately- or it's like, yes, this person isn't, they definitely need this service. So that ad pops up. It's more just a general targeting of people in an area, in an age bracket potentially, where you can go, hey guys, we're here if you need us. Yeah. And obviously, particularly Facebook and Instagram, that that platform is changing massively at the moment. So it used to be super, super, super targeted with what you could do. That's changing now where it is becoming a lot more broad and general, yep. which is going to really impact a lot of different businesses on how they've been advertising. Not a lot of agencies are talking about that yet. Like no one sort of seems to be having the conversation around, hey, you need to future-proof your advertising strategy because what you did last year won't work next year. Yeah. And if you've built a business purely on serving ads for, you know, diet courses to people who are categorised as interested in, you know, diet plans and you can't do that anymore, then you need to know what your plan B is. Yeah, Um, and you've got to be really careful with um, even the copy that you use in advertising. So both Google and Facebook and Instagram and all that type of stuff, they heavily regulate the type of messaging that you put out as well. So you can have disapproved ads and, and whatnot that come through if the person writing the copy and managing the ad accounts are not across the advertising standards for that platform. It's actually digital advertising in medical and allied health. If you want to do it properly, legally yeah. and ethically, yeah. then the compliance both on the side of the con- the advertisement itself being legislatively compliant, but then also the agency being compliant to the terms and conditions of the platform such as Facebook and Google 100%. is so high yeah. that it's not the kind of thing. There's a reason why a lot of operators just can't get cut through with digital advertising for medicine or for allied health is because they don't understand it because it is a really, you know, like our head of advertising spends a bucket load of time knowing the legislations, the codes back to front so that, and the policies back to front so that we can deliver the right outcomes. Whereas a lot of people don't really understand that it's that detailed. Yeah. And then you've got things like uh, digital TV, you know, like that's another area which is huge and not talked about a lot, but it's, it's awesome, you know, Half TV consumed today is is obviously you're using pre-recorded apps. Yeah, and it's a great brand awareness exercise. Oh, we can, you know it can be targeted down to postcode. It's it's awesome, so amazing, and it's it's no more expensive than Google Ads. No, so it, like digital TV will is quickly replacing traditional TV, and it's the kind of thing, particularly in 
if you want to niche down who you're trying to target, it's actually really targeted as well. It's kind of like the hybrid between traditional TV that has the credibility of being on the black box Mm -hmm. and the targeting of social media where it's not just a region or or a postcode. Yeah, it's It's, very cool what we can do. So let's talk about email marketing and EDMs. EDMing. Yeah. Yeah, email marketing is huge. So when we think about email marketing, think of it in two ways for a practice or a clinic. You've got communication and education to patients. So often email marketing is used for patient retention. That's one side to it where you're letting them know about the things that you offer and also sending them reminders as well, like, you know, annual skin checks or immunizations, things like that, where you're reminding patients via email that, hey, you're actually due for your annual skin check. Yep. Or in the case of like, actually dentists have, a lot of dentists do a really, really, really good job of smashing that six monthly. You know, oh yeah. But you know what, from a patient perspective, I love that text message. Oh yeah. I think it's awesome. I So every time I get that text message, I book in for an appointment. But it's funny. So because I get so And it's many, like preventative. But you know what, so many text messages you get for that sort of reminder, which is fine, but no one ever sends an email about it. Yeah. And the problem is, is that like from text, whilst the open rate is high, the action rate is lower, whereas an email is a lower open rate, but a higher action rate. Yep. So I actually think email marketing is a, it probably a more effective way to rebook those six monthly checks up or annual checkups or, you know, immunizations or whatever it might be, follow-up appointments, et cetera. So you think of that as like patient retention, right? Yep. Particularly if you're a, a service where you need to see a patient every three, six, 12 months. So like your patient retention strategy needs to be on point and well mapped down. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be forever trying to find new patients. Like I don't know how you'd run a practice. The second part of email marketing is things like when someone's inquiring and then you're sending them an automated email flow or sequence of say two or three or five emails, it's educating them and trying to sell them into the service or product that you're actually offering. Yeah. So typically, um, particularly the uh, say surgeries and again, you know, maybe because it's it's something we've worked with recently where the breast augmentation, for example, where the person is inquiring and they're still needing to be educated on the process. And imagine if they inquired to book a consult, but then they got a three-part email series before they had the consult, which is probably going to be in six months' time anyways because they're always booked out. But say that, you know, the person inquires, they book a consult, and then they get this awesome email sequence of educational things, you know, explaining how many CCs are in different cup sizes and, you know, what the post-office process is and, you know, amazing social proof examples of other people. Recovery times. All that sort of stuff, you know, just dealing with all the the pain points or the hurdles to make a decision around it. Yeah. Imagine how much better that consult is going to go when they finally sit down with a prospective patient and that patient is already educated, not by the broader internet, which is dangerous, but specifically by that clinical practice. So email marketing can actually be a great sales tool to educate and resell or, or sell the perspective. And just nurturing the client, you well, know, yeah. so they're not asking you basic questions in consults. Yeah. They're already, you know, like I recently had, I was going to do a surgery on my foot because I broke my foot. I saw my surgeon and was about to book in, but then I had to wait like two months and I completely forgot what the recovery process was. And that was a really big part of my decision purely because of what's going on. And so like I had to call up, speak to his assistant, then she had to go speak to the surgeon 
to find out what the recovery process was and come back to me. Yeah, it wasn't um, pretty, it wasn't as. You know, whereas if I had that in an email, I could have answered that question myself without having to talk to anyone. Yeah. And Alec, I think it's great that, that it's, um, it's quite interesting how even with young clinicians or, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a physio or GP, it doesn't matter their age. For some reason, the idea of writing things on a pad or printing out black and white random sheets is still the preferred method. Like think of how, like actually the appointment card is the most hilarious <laughs> thing I think that exists in today's allied health and medical world where you want me to write that on an appointment card. Now I, I understand, I love the care and consideration that's gone into that, but saying that to a 22 year old is like <laughs> the, the most hilarious, even me being 37, I'm like, nah, it's cool. I've already put it in my phone before they've even given me the card. 100%. Now yeah. it might be applicable for my mum who's like 70 something or yeah. whatever. And you know, she'll probably then pull out her physical diary and write it in there. But you know, the appointment cards can be done with. Just yeah. on just before we move on from like email marketing, it's important to understand that obviously a lot of the people we're talking to today, they're going to have a practice management system in place. Yep. And some of those practice management systems have amazing automated follow-up sequences that you can actually program. Yep. If you're not doing that, then you should. And 100%. it might even be as simple as, oh, with practice management systems, we normally won't get terribly involved in operating your practice management system, but we can give you the sequence or the workflow and the content that you can put into them. Yeah, like we could write it for you. Yeah, correct. So if we can make your life super, super easy and you've just then got to go in and pre-program it. So yeah. if your practice management system does offer that, then that's a really, really cool thing. If it doesn't, then you might actually need to use an email marketing system like Clavio, for example, Yep. which is something we do a lot of, which is probably the best system out there I can see today where we can create those those sequences and flows of client communication. So the only downside to using a practice management system is often they're not the prettiest because they're designed for practice management. They're not designed for marketing. Yeah. Whereas something like Clavio is designed for marketing. So you can produce beautifully designed communication and the better it looks, the more engagement you'll get from the person you're sending it to. So sometimes it is better to bite the bullet, spend the extra money. And we're not talking like tens of thousands of bucks. Like it's chump change really yep. to use a system like that. And the benefit or the return on that is so high, it's ridiculous. So depending on whether you've got a PMS that works or you need to put a different system in place, we can help the client through that. Yeah. So now we've talked about email marketing. What about brand identity? What What is that? Brand identity. So a lot of people when you talk about branding, they, yep. they instantly think of their logo. Yep. And that's a part of it. So it's, you know, your colors and your fonts and your tone of voice and but it's all it's the things that go around it. So when we talk about brand brand identity with a client, we go, okay. So practically obviously you start with a logo and then you add in the colors and the and the fonts and then the brand mark and the supporting elements that go around it. And it, it's actually painting a picture that creates your overall brand identity with a whole bunch of small things that go into it. It also then has a big impact on the positioning of the brand as well. So how do you want to be perceived to the market? Do you want to look like a budget service or do you want to look like a premium service? If you're trying to do private fee for service, you need to look premium because no one who's expecting everything to be bulk billed is going to probably engage with a brand that looks super, super high end. Yep. And at the same token, if you want to service everyone and do a heap of bulk building, then you probably don't want to position yourself too high because otherwise people will never come to you. So your brand identity is, whilst it does include your logo and your brand mark and things like that, there's supporting elements that go around it, even down to, you know, your signage, your office fit out, you know, does your office fit out accurately reflect your brand or vice versa? Where, I, I mean, I would be talking to probably a dozen 
clients at the moment who are either about to do a fit out or recently done a fit out. And there's been the discussion of integrating the brand with their fit out design or vice versa so that it's all congruent and cohesive, which is awesome because then you just get this really smooth, seamless, seamless customer experience. Even down to patient forms, like are they black and white copied that are like? Oh yeah, hard we to just read? updated some for um, one of our surgeon clients, and they're the best colonoscopy documentation I have ever seen. If I had to, if I had to be completely honest with you, the, the prettiest, <laughs> yeah, like the you know he's thought about how he applies his brand and and how he wants to be perceived and and the experience that he wants his customers to have and and he wants to be presented as professional and and the effort that he puts in he wants that to come across in every part of the interaction with him, yeah. Yep. which I very much appreciate. Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic example of your brand identity includes both your online assets as well as your offline assets. So your offline assets might be your fit out, your signage, your patient forms. Your business cards. Your, your business cards, yep. your appointment cards. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, your online obviously is like your website, your social media, and all those sorts of things. So a lot of the time, if you're an existing practice and we're dealing with you, we may look at the brand and go, is it reflective of who you are and where you want to go? And if it's not, then we need to reposition you and we take you through a really short, simple process. It only takes a couple of weeks to do, but the outcomes of that gives you a really clear creative direction about where you're going to head. And it's something to get excited about as well. It often happens when a business is either trying to grow or trying to recruit because they're an established business that's got a legacy brand and a good reputation is fantastic, but sometimes you do have to modernise it a bit to keep with the times yep. because patience and staff and talent is changing. And, that's, and when we talk about like, so, you know, that's like a rebrand rather yep. than a new brand, yep. you know, is that massive changes to to the brand or? It, it depends. Sometimes like we do kind of like two types of rebrands or repositionings. Some are, okay, clinic has been purchased or acquired yep. and it goes through a big change. Other times it's just a subtle change, yeah. but it can like subtlety is a really powerful weapon if used correctly. So a lot of the times we'll do rebrands where it isn't, there's not this polar opposite yep. brand that we come up with. It's just a better improved version of like you. Like a refined version. Very much a refined version. Yep. Someone's got a favorite wine. <laughs> they are not going and buying something that tastes completely different yep. unless their thing is being adventurous. Yep. But let's face it, like <laughs> if you love reds, you are buying reds that all have similar characteristics, tastings, all that type of stuff. Yeah. And it's the same with brands. You know, there's no point creating a brand that doesn't feel natural or reflective or authentic to them. Yeah. So um, we're not the kind of agency who comes in and goes, let's change everything. And all of a sudden you've got directors or business owners or or doctors feeling uneasy about the brand that we've come up with. It's usually just a refined version. You're right. Yeah. And then you got like startups or new brands where it might be a new practice and we're, we're starting from scratch, which is super fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, and we're seeing more and more and more of that in almost every specialty or niche area of medicine and allied health. Yep. And it's usually from two things. One is you've obviously got younger qualified practitioners or clinicians or specialists coming through and starting their own, or they're buying into or buying out an existing practice. So there is a bit of generational change that we're seeing at the moment. You know, I'm dealing with a bunch of clients where it's the, um, you know, say medicine is in the family and they're actually the son or the daughter has actually now finished their time done their degree, got their qualifications, come through as a registrar and now as a GP and they're actually buying out the family practice yep. and they want to modernise it because the waiting room smells like cigars or whatever. <laughs> so that's happening as well. Um, and you've also got people relocating. You know, Obviously, we're based on the sunny coast, but we do work everywhere. And it's funny, we've, we've got clients who are starting practices on the Sunshine Coast from Brisbane who have moved here from Sydney and Melbourne 
But then we're also dealing with clients who have moved from Queensland down to Victoria and doing new dental clinics down there. Yeah. So it kind of goes all over the place. Obviously, what we do whilst we live here, we work kind of everywhere. Yeah, and we love this industry. Oh, it's actually really, really fun because you deal with such. The great thing about medicine and allied health is because they believe in the person's specialty, they, they support and back that person's specialty because that's what they do in their own industry. So the interesting thing about working with practice managers and doctors and so forth is they actually come to you and go, as the marketing agency, creative agency, we're coming to you because we trust you to do the, the best job. And it's the same thing when you go to a doctor yeah. where you go to them because you trust them to do the best job. 100%. Or a surgeon or whatever yeah. it might be. So the working relationship with with medicine and allied health is actually phenomenal. Like yeah. it's, it, we have a lot of fun with it. It's yeah, just, you, you can. Know. It's not actually that. Like some things are humorous and yeah. some things are amazing. Some things are just the most interesting thing in the world. Yeah. So I guess, um, yeah, it's definitely a fun space to work in. But just kind of stepping back and going over those kind of solutions that, that create this fundamental foundation. You obviously you've got your website, you've got your social media content, you've got your advertising, email marketing, and your brand identity. Mm-hmm. And that's a, almost like a typical service package when we sit down and talk to a client. Sometimes they just need Google ads because they need to fill a few more bookings. Other times it's a bit bigger than that. So it just depends the life cycle of the business. Yeah. And um, what they require at the mo- at the time too. Yeah, that's right. And because it is getting super, super competitive in the space, there's more, you know, th- there's like double the amount of GP clinics now than what there was five years ago on the Sunshine Coast alone. Yep. Same with physios, same with chiros. Like there's, there's a huge amount of competition entering the market. And so you have to be relevant. You have to be front of mind. It's not as easy as what it used to be. That's not to say there's not as much opportunity. It just means that you've just got to be a little bit more proactive about achieving that opportunity. Agreed. So whether it's a startup and we're starting from scratch and we're designing everything or whether it's a rebrand and a reposition, it's the kind of thing where we do a bucket load of both. And you can get super strategic about it as well. You know, like a, a classic example might be a specialist who gets referrals but doesn't get enough referrals mm-hmm. or they get the wrong type of referrals. Yep. Like say you're this actually, this is the most infuriating thing ever for anyone who's a specialist in their field is only ever getting the really hard referrals because you're seen as that good. Yeah. So if like your position in the market is you are that good, then you only ever get the hardest of hard referrals. Mm. It's just like, give me a break. Just <laughs> just send me an easy, you know, hip replacement for once in a while with gel. Like, don't send me the really, really. But the problem is, is unless you're communicating with your referral base that you do everything and you don't just do the, the most difficult of difficult things. Yep. I mean, imagine being someone like Charlie Teo who just gets like the hardest of hard <laughs> cases. So that's actually a common example when we're dealing with specialists or referral-based businesses where they don't get the right type of referrals or they only get the hardest referrals yeah. or their referral base has changed and therefore they're not well known. Yeah. So, you know, there's kind of, there's so many layers. Well, there's a component of them that isn't broadly known. So, and there's a fine line between like bragging about your achievements, but also letting people know what your achievements are. You oh, know what I mean? So like- There's got to be the right balance of humility and confidence yeah. in medicine and allied health yeah. combined with a bit of empathy. Yeah. Because the thing you don't want to do is as a patient or a client, you're never going to want to go to someone who's a hot mess. Mm. You never want to go to someone who doesn't look confident. Yeah. You never want to go to someone who's a jerk or an asshole about what they do. Yeah. Like you, you, you want to be dealing with nice people. So it's, you want confidence, you want empathy and you want professionalism. Yeah. And- it's balancing all of that in the positioning of that surgeon or the positioning of that clinic or whatever it might be. Yeah. Because ultimately you do need to be a figure of authority if you're a qualified specialist in a field. Mm. So, you know, a lot of that is when we come going back to those three things we need to spoke about, you know, presentation, positioning and price. Yep. Like we tie 
everything that we suggest as a solution back into those things because we know that's the most important thing. Yeah. And it's the difference between being able to only bulk bill because that's all the level of service that you offer or being able to charge private fee for service in your desired field and being able to achieve the rates that you truly are worth is the, pro- is the positioning and the, and the presentation of that brand or that clinic or that surgeon. And I suppose it's just working together to find the solution that best fits the problem that they are facing. Yeah. And, and it obviously with that, everyone's got different budgets. Some people are spending two grand a month, some people are spending 20 grand a month. It depends on their field. Yeah. But generally speaking, it, because there is such a shift, like a seismic shift in competition and legislation and all these different things that go into running a practice in medicine or Island health, pulling in and getting advice around your marketing is really, really important. And it's not difficult or complicated or scary. Typically, when I sit down with a client, we're just talking about business problems half the time. Yeah. Oh, I can't get enough doctors or, you know, our patients don't know we offer immunizations or, you know, no one ever comes back for their six monthly, you know, teeth clean. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, let's figure out a process to solve that. Yeah. And like you've referred to in a previous podcast where whilst we might be having business, we've got business problems, but using marketing solutions to solve them. 100%. And I think that's a really, really powerful thing. Yeah. So I hope this discussion has helped a lot of our practice managers and business owners and partners in medicine and allied health. And if you ever want to have just a chat, obviously you can just go on our website and give me a buzz. My details are always there. And I'm the person who actually answers the phone for new business (laughs) inquiries. And if you're kind of unsure about what you need or you know you need to do something, but you don't know what that is, then, you know, that's fine. That's just a chat. We can work through that. But yeah, jump on the website for anyone who wants to and we can try and talk through. And there's a bunch of case studies on there as well about yeah, medical check out, work. I think check out the work page because there's case studies that apply to different medical and allied health practitioners, I suppose, and different problems that they're facing, et cetera. So we've got quite a good range of examples there. And we love working in this industry. It's the best, to be honest. I think some of the best work we actually do is in this industry. I would agree. I think some of the best work we do is actually in this industry and and it's enjoyable for us and we're quite knowledgeable in it as well. So if you've got any questions or you want to have a chat, jump on our website, aprilford.com or give us a call 1300 004 777. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys.